Well, according to the statistics that I've seen, the average American typically carries about eight to $10,000 of a balance on three to four credit cards. Now, uh, they, they have said that this year, apparently people are starting to cut down on that, and maybe it's more in the range of $4,500. We're getting a little bit more conservative. But because of that, the average American pays about $1,200 a year in credit card interest alone. And yet, as we approach the holidays this year, we're still, most analysts, most of those who are making predictions, are predicting that most of us are going to spend about $800 to $1,500 for Christmas. And for many of us, the plan is that that's going to go on that very same card that we already have that balance on from last year. You know, it's no wonder that so many of us are so overworked. It's no wonder that so many of us are so stressed out as we go into the holidays. Listen to this, and I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but I heard something like this a few years ago, and it really struck me about the powerful impact of credit. It says, even before we put this year's Christmas on top of what we already owe on our credit cards, if we only make the $90 minimum payment each month, It will take us 47 years, 47 years, 47 years paying $90 a month to pay off what we already owe. Now, that's using that conservative. We've all cut back and we're down to $4,500 on our cards. If we pay the minimum, we will pay the $4,500 and we'll pay $18,668 in interest. So at the end of 47 years, our $4,500 balance that we have right now will have cost us over $23,000. That's if we don't spend any this Christmas. So for many of us, the holidays, especially Christmas, are kind of difficult to enjoy, aren't they? They're something that many times we find ourselves dreading, and that's why we're doing this series, Bah Humbug, how not to dread the holidays. For some of us, it is bah humbug. And we're thinking, I'm dreading the holidays. But we want to think about, you know what? From God's perspective, isn't it sad that the enemy so many times has pulled away things that are so good and so wonderful and so much a part of God's plan for our lives, and he's pulled the fun out of those. He's pulled the blessing out of those things, and it becomes a burden. It becomes a weight that we have to carry. So tonight, if you don't want to dread the holidays this year and for the next 50 years, one of the things we need to learn as God's people is how to avoid the trap of materialism. It's all around us, isn't it? The pull of materialism, especially around Christmas. I mean, are you like my family? The magazines start coming, like I said earlier in the service, almost in March, don't they? The magazine, the, the, the Christmas uh, catalog. I mean, I remember growing up, you know, waiting for that Sears Christmas catalog. Y'all remember that? The Sears Christmas catalog. The commercials started showing up on TV. And, and I found myself over the last month, I mean, what did I get on some list or something? I mean, I cannot even go online. I cannot even check my email without getting bombarded with, hurry up, hurry up in the next 15 minutes. Free shipping on all orders over. 
Whatever, right? And then the granddaddy of them all, Black Friday. (laughs) With all of that barrage of offers. Seriously, isn't it almost impossible to keep back the tithe? I mean, you feel good if you just waste a little bit, right? Because, I mean, it seems like inevitable that I'm going to blow some money somewhere and it's going to overtake us. As we think about that tonight, I want to look at a passage of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 11. And to be honest with you, these are some verses that have always just sort of caught my attention. You see, we have in Hebrews 11 what many people have called the great hall of faith. Because what it does in Hebrews 11 is it goes back through the history of God's people and it lists many of the great men and women of God who have trusted God throughout the centuries. But what we want to do is focus on verses 13 through 16 because kind of in the middle of that, he starts out in uh, chapter 11 towards the earlier part. He starts talking about some of those specific individuals and then he's going to pick back up with it there in verse 17 and finish out the chapter. But here in verses 13 through 16, He begins to give us a glimpse, a kind of a summary of how all these people viewed living their lives, how they approached living the life that God had set before them. And I believe that looking at what the Lord says about them can help us avoid the trap of materials and hopefully be able to enjoy Christmas a little more this year. And I think one of the first things these people teach us that will help us to avoid that trap is that we need to realize this world is not our home. Some of us are trying to get too comfortable on planet Earth. We've gotten caught up in it, haven't we? And and it's very easy to do, isn't it? I mean, if you just don't do anything, if you're not very intentional, it's very easy for that to happen. But look at what some of these godly people of faith Look at what their lives look like. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. He, he's mentioned, like I said, many specific people. But here in verse 13, he says, All these died in faith without receiving the promises that God had made to them, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things, make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. The Bible tells us that these people that we're to look up to, these people that we're to follow their example, it talks about that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, these people who are such a great cloud, such a great group of witnesses, they give testimony about the way that we're supposed to live our life. They were people who walked by faith and not by sight. It says they were people of faith. They lived in faith. It it says that all throughout verses 1 through verse 12. But then it says they even died in faith. Their whole life was characterized by faith. They, They were living by faith, not by sight. But what's our natural tendency? Our natural tendency, if we don't work against it, it just comes easy for us, doesn't it? We walk by sight and not by faith. But these people say to us, hey, God wants to turn that around. We don't need to get so caught up in the things that we currently see. We need to focus on things that maybe aren't quite as visible right now. 
Then these verses also tell us they were people who were willing to wait for better things. It says all these died in faith. They were people who walked by faith, not by sight. They died without receiving the promises, but having seen them, where did they see them? They saw them in their heart, in their mind, as God worked in their life. They saw some things. They understood some things. And having welcomed them from a distance, they died not seeing some of these things happen, but still they saw them, they welcomed them from a distance. Now, I'm sure just like us, these people were people who are walking through life and they saw things that they wanted sometimes, don't you think? I mean, we need to be careful when we're reading these passages that, I mean, this is a great wall of faith. These are great people to look up to, but we need to be careful that we don't put them on a pedestal. If you read their story, they were just as messed up as us, weren't they? They made some big time mistakes. But here's some things they did right. As they walked with God, he showed them there were some other things that they had not quite yet experienced yet that God was leading them toward. And they decided our focus is going to be those things. That's what we're going to shoot for. That's what we're going to even wait for. Now, as Americans, you can't get much more countercultural than saying, wait. Right? We don't believe in waiting. Right? We, we, we don't like to wait. In fact, it's not just that we want things. We want them before anybody else gets them. Isn't that true, especially this time of year? I'm not going to wait on that thing. No, not even that. I want it before you get it. But these were people who were willing to wait. They, they show us a different way of living. But also they realized that they were somewhat out of place. It says in these verses that um, they, were, they confessed, they saw these things from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles, or some of your translations say what? They were strangers and pilgrims, kind of passerbys on this earth. Now, I don't want to get too carried away with this because some Christians sort of have this mindset that it's us against the rest of the world. Now, that's not the truth. We're here to serve, aren't we? But the Bible is saying to us we should not get too comfortable in this world. The word stranger they use there, it basically means foreigner. What does that mean? If you're a foreigner, that means what? This is not your home. You're not supposed to get too settled. If you're a pilgrim, a pilgrim, what it's talking about in these verses are exiles. These are people who were temporarily passing through another country. They were not intending to settle down or put down roots. And verse 14 says they had somewhere else they were going. Those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. I'm not settling in here because I have somewhere else that is my final destination. God's word is telling us very clearly we need to be careful not to get too settled in or too attached to this world. We should not get enamored with the things of this world. If we're God's people, we see things differently. You've maybe heard me say before, it's the difference between an apartment or owning your own home mentality, right? If you have an apartment, you might paint the walls. You might go out and buy some pictures and make it look nice. You might buy some furniture, but you're really thinking, we don't want to pour a lot of money into this. Why? We don't plan on staying here. Amen? 
When I heard that analogy a few years ago, I was like, wow, that's it, isn't it? It really helps me to think about it. I need to be careful. And isn't it very easy to start thinking more like, and I find, I don't know, maybe something about age. I find the older that I get, the easier it is to get settled in. Does anybody else relate to that? And we need to be very careful about that. This world is not our home. If you want to avoid the trap of materialism, you've got to realize that. But they also challenge us to resist the pull of things. In verse 15, it says, And indeed, <clears throat> if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. Sometimes we think because somebody, don't miss this. Sometimes we think that because someone that we're observing made a right decision, we think that it must have been easy for them. You understand what I'm saying? When somebody makes a right decision, we just automatically interpret in our mind, oh, their life must be easier because I couldn't have made that decision. But we shouldn't think that. That's not true. These people had serious temptations to turn back or to get attached or to latch on to the things of this world. I've thought about these verses many times over the years in times when I've wanted to give up. Listen to these verses. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, God called them in a walk of faith to go somewhere and they followed him It says if they had been thinking of that place that they left, they would have had opportunity to return. Many times when I want to give up in my life, when I want to turn back, are you hearing me? You ever want to turn back? You ever want to give up? You ever want to throw in the towel? You ever want to say, what's the use? You ever want to say, I don't know, maybe I just kind of went crazy and I went down this road and I just need to kind of get back to where I used to be. Anybody ever feel that way? I see some heads nodding because I think it's true. I think that's a very real temptation that the enemy gives to us. But these people, we can admire them because even though they faced that struggle, they had that pull of give up or give in or turn back. They did not turn back, even though you might think, oh, it was easier for them. They lived in an easier day. No, they had the opportunity, but they made a decision to approach life in a different way. God's way. As we live in a materialistic culture, how can we resist the urge to just give in? Isn't that hard? Why fight it? I'm tired of fighting it. I just, I don't want to do it anymore, especially this time of year. Let me give you some pointers for Christmas, for this Christmas season. First of all, write this down. I don't think we should feel pressured by expectations. Okay, can we just can we just go above just to kind of, you know, we're we're not going down the river and everybody's in their boat and we're going the same direction. We're pulling over and saying, "Hey, hey, who said?" Have you ever thought about it? Who said Christmas has to kill you? Who made the rule? Who was the first person that decided that? Why does it have to be that way? Whoever said, I'm sorry, kids, I'm not throwing you under the bus here, okay? I'm coming back, all right? But whoever said, seriously, whoever said that kids have to get this big windfall? 
I mean, we've got to build up all year. We've got to start dreading this September. After school close, it's like, oh boy, save up for Christmas, right? Who said, why does it have to be that way? Who made that rule? I'm all for presents. I love giving presents. It's nice for the kids to get presents. It's even, I believe, nice to sacrifice a little bit sometimes. And no better time to sacrifice for other people to show your love than Christmas, right? I think there's some wonderful imagery in that, isn't there? (laughs) Until you start hating it. Amen? Now, Now we're in a little different territory, aren't we? Who says it has to break the bank? You know, some people have started decide, have started making a decision that we're not going to do that anymore. And so some people have said, you know what, we're going to change the way we celebrate Christmas. We're going to get some presents, but we're going to put some emphasis on some other things. We've told our extended family, hey, if we have the opportunity to come down and visit you during Christmas, that is our gift. I mean, I'm not saying don't expect anything else from us. I'm saying that is your gift to us. Just being with you. Don't worry about getting anything from us. The biggest gift you can give us is just being with us. Amen? What's wrong with that? Why should I have to feel guilty about that? Why should I feel like I did less than my best for Christmas when I'm just enjoying time with my family? Amen? Some people have gone to an idea. I've heard people talk about they give three presents. You ever heard of that? They give their kids three presents. They say, we're going to be just like the wise men. The wise men, <laughs> be a little careful with this following that analogy because they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Very expensive <laughs> gifts. <okay? laughs> and the kids are like, oh, yeah, <laughs> bring on the big presents. <laughs> I'm not saying you got to do three presents. I think it's a neat idea. Some of the kids are like, I wish they'd have brought more than three guys, right? <laughs> Why can't they brought ten? Actually, there is some evidence. It was a larger caravan, but that's the main gifts that they brought. But it does we don't need to get too specific, do we? But do you see what I'm saying? Just thinking a little bit outside of the normal realm. Who says you have to spend what everybody else spends? Who says that? Who says you have to exchange names? Do you ever feel that pressure? Your extended family calls you and says, we're exchanging names. And you feel like such a heel to say, you know, we're not. <laughs> oh, Elizabeth, it's the big one, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're not. No, no, thank you. But I, I don't think we're going to we're going to do that this year. Is that OK? I think it's OK to politely bow out and say, again, we're just going to enjoy being together. If you guys want to do that, that's great. But we're just going to enjoy being together. Don't feel pressured by expectations. Secondly, don't get caught up in all the good deals. If you're going to buy gifts, and like I said, I, I'm all for buying gifts. I think there's something wonderful about that if you can. But have a budget. Make a decision. Here's what we want to get. Here's how much we want to spend. And if you're going to get something and you can get it cheaper, isn't that great? I mean, that is part of the the good that can, let's be careful, the good that can come out of Black Friday if you were going to buy something, but any other time of year, let's say just, let's say 
Husbands, man, I'm just let's just I'm just dying to have that big screen plasma LCD, whatever. Okay. Of all times of the year, if you're going to buy an electronic, probably Black Friday, if you're willing to spend the night in the, in the parking lot and draw a number. That's probably the best time of year to get a good deal. If you were already going to buy one. But if you weren't, and you got it anyway, I heard somebody say it's not a good deal if you can't afford it. Right? It doesn't matter how good. (laughs) Shannon and I will joke, we'll say, we're losing money not buying. I mean, the clock's ticking, right? Just by not buying. (laughs) I mean, we're just joking around. You understand what I'm saying? The way the sale is put across, just sitting here, we're losing money. We need to run and purchase just so we can save some money. Isn't that the way you feel sometimes? (laughs) Number three, don't get trapped in paying it off later. We talked about credit cards at the beginning. There may be some times when credit is useful, but I can't think of many. You may have to use credit to, buy, to make a large purchase like a house. Generally, you do, don't you, in our culture? To be honest with you, I wish we'd never gone that route as a nation. We decided back in the 19th century that we were just going to put the payment off. And now we're caught in this trap, aren't we? Where nobody in their right mind could pay for a house. Hardly. Right? Cars... I don't know. You, you study Crown and some other financial advisors will tell you, we probably, I'm just challenging you, don't feel bad if you've borrowed money for a car. Probably most, if not all of us have. But many financial advisors are saying there's a different way of looking at the cycle of purchases than typically we as Americans have looked at it. It is possible if you make it a priority to pay cash for your cars. Just a thought. But besides a house and besides a car, maybe a, getting a business, much beyond that, maybe, sometimes, but not really. Not a whole lot. I have to tell you, I have one credit card that I use, and I've never paid a dime of credit or of interest. And I don't intend to. I don't want to give that credit card company 20% of anything. Amen? But I have to tell you, I'm being challenged with that a little bit because, you know, because I've never paid interest, I used to think, well, it's okay to use their money for a month, right? As long as I pay it off. But actually, some financial advisors are, well, they'll even say to you, did you realize that even if you never pay interest, you probably make more purchases just because psychologically you're using a card? It's just something to think about. Amen? We need to be aware of it. I'm not going to say hard and fast, no credit, no cards, but I will say this is probably the point for us. We should probably be more conservative financially than most of us have learned as Americans, than most of us have experienced and been raised to believe. I just lean towards, (laughs) if I can't afford it in November, and I can't afford it in December, I'm really kind of wondering where it's going to come from in January. 
Amen? <laughs> and even if I think I can come up with it in January, friends, these are just some traps. I'm just trying to help you with it. What if something happens? What if I say, oh, I, you know, I get paid and, and I, maybe I make this much extra and we'll set aside. What if something happens, right? So we just got to be thoughtful of that. Some people will say, well, I only use my card in emergencies. I want to challenge you with that. I don't know that I would trust the Lord that his provision would be to lead you into slavery. Do you hear me? Many people say, okay, I'm in a bind. I've got this credit limit. That must be God's provision. I'm not thinking so. Okay? I want to challenge because some people have never heard that before. And we fall into that trap of thinking that that must be God's way out for us. Again, it's not hard and fast, but as Americans, we need to be weaned from our cards. In most things, if we can't afford it now, we probably need to wait, don't we? Okay, let me read you some verses. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. In Romans 12, verse 2, the Bible challenges us to be careful. It says, and do not be conformed to this world. Some of your translations say, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. And what he's talking about there is there's a mold, there's a pattern that most people kind of fall into, and we need to be careful as God's people that we don't just say, okay, mold me too. Okay? It says, do not be conformed, and it's actually talking about being pressed from the outside in. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Primarily, what I'm trying to do tonight is not necessarily tell you specifically what you should do financially, but it's to challenge you. Are you thinking about what you're doing? Are there some basic assumptions that you have that is causing you to get trapped and you never even realized it? Does that make sense? Okay, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. In 1 John 2, verse 15, it says... um, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts or its desires. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. The world and all these pulls that we face, they're passing away. But if you do God's way, you're going to stand forever. Okay, so realize this world's not our home. Resist to pull of those things, but the final thing in verse 16 is we need to remember what we have in the Lord. Let's look at verse 16. <clears throat> it says, but as it is, they desire a better country. Amen, anybody? Would you like a better way than most of the world is experiencing? As it is, the reason they made these decisions is because they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You know, some of us think that the Christian life is basically just, it's going to be hard. And Christians are just constantly trying to make life hard. They're just trying to move away from anything that's good. We're just trying to withhold. We're just trying to do without. But that's not true. What the Bible says, if you're following Christ, you're just looking for something better. 
Amen? I've seen a lot of this world. No, thank you. Amen? I'm kind of thinking, I'm, I'm really hoping, actually, it's better somewhere. God's way, amen? Here's what we're holding out for. First of all, it's God's pleasure. In verse 16, it says, But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. You know what? I remember as a little boy reading these verses, and something about these verses just kind of drew me to them. I would hope one day those words could be said about me. That I so trusted the Lord that he was glad to call me one of his own. Don't you hope that? He's not ashamed. It's not a stretch. Nobody's wondering. It was clear. I was one of God's children. He's proud of the way that I live my life. Is that your desire? But because of you trusting him, God's not ashamed to be called their God. I decided the other day that I was going to begin working on losing a little bit of weight. <clears throat> and somebody, uh, I heard this quote somebody say, I think I may have shared this before, but I heard somebody say, really, if you want to really get control of your eating habits, what you've got to do is you've got to decide that the desire to have this thing, that extra helping or that piece of candy or whatever it is, ice cream, whatever it is, You've got to decide that whatever is desirable about that is not as desirable as feeling good or as being healthy. Have you ever heard that before? So I tried it the other day. My sweet wife, she fixed me lunch, sandwich, some chips the other day. Shanna grew up in a family. It's not a meal unless you have something sweet, all right? So she threw me a Snickers bar in there. My lunch break wasn't over. I had time to eat it. I looked at that Snickers bar. I thought to myself, that looks good. <laughs> but I said, I'm just going to try this. I actually would rather feel good in my clothes. I actually would rather shed some pounds and feel better. Actually, to be honest with you, I actually want that more than that taste of that Snickers bar. I said, no, thank you, and wrapped it up. Took it back home to Shannon. Now she put it in my lunch the next day. <laughs> hey, it's progress, baby. <laughs> when you're following God, when honoring Him, when finding His will, when pleasing Him is more important to us, we'll quit being so enamored by the things of the world. Amen? When, yeah, that looks good. Yeah, I think I would like that, but it's not as important to me anymore. Does anybody relate to that? Are things that used to be important to you not as important to you anymore? Position or pride or, you know, having you know this or that or whatever. I, I doesn't do anything, Okay. We all have struggles, but more and more we move in that direction. Secondly, we're holding out for God's promise. In verse 16, for he has prepared a city for them. Aren't those cool words? Do you know what eternal life is all about, friend? <laughs> you know, what? when you begin, we as Christians, sometimes we talk too much about here and now. 
We talk too much about finances and raising kids and all this kind of stuff, which is all important. But you know what? We need to talk about heaven more, shouldn't we? I'm going somewhere. I don't I don't I don't want to get too attached to this stuff. It's 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 kind of just counterfeit. Amen. It's it's not enough for me. I don't I don't like it as much as I used to like. That's the goal that I have. That's the desire that I ought to have. Because God has prepared a place for me. What I'm looking for is that place that God's taking me to. Amen. And by the way, it's coming one day. It is real. The Bible says in John chapter 14 that he has prepared a place for you. Isn't that cool? God knows what you like. He knows your colors. He knows, you know, what you would like, you know, your place in heaven. He knows knows your personality. All these things. And the Bible says he has prepared a place for you. Isn't that cool? You know, it's hard to keep the right focus and to avoid the trap of materialism. But let me give you some ways to keep Christ the focus this time of year. First of all, let's talk about Thanksgiving. How about that? I'm just giving you some ideas, okay? Over the years, as we've tried to grow our family, to be honest with you, when we first started walking with the Lord, we didn't know anything. We just knew we loved the Lord and we wanted to honor Him. But we learned from pastors and from other believers some different ideas. Let me give you some ideas. At Thanksgiving, why not just sit down before you have your meal, unless it took a while for it to cook, okay? Then don't drive the kids nuts by doing a Bible study, all right? (laughs) let them eat, and then afterwards do the thankful thing. But why not sit down and say, um, let's everybody just go around the table and share one thing you're thankful for. Wouldn't that be good? How about looking up some verses on thankfulness? When we had our dinner here at the church, those people that came for our dinner here, we just, we stopped for a second. We didn't make it a big Bible study. Sit down, everybody, your stomach growling, I know, but you're going to have to wait because we're having a Bible study. We didn't do that. We just said, hey, let's look at some verses. I think it was Luke chapter um, 17. We talked about the 10 lepers that Jesus healed and how only one leper came back and thanked Jesus for doing it. Just a good lesson. How about Christmas? What are some ways to keep Christ? Go to church on Christmas. Go to the Christmas Eve service. While you're putting your Christmas tree up, why don't you put on some uh, Christmas music? Put on a CD. Just kind of have some Christmas hymns going. Hey, here's a cool idea. Somebody gave us a few years ago, and we've done a few times. Make a happy birthday cake for Jesus. Amen? One year, the kids actually got Jesus a balloon. You know what they wanted to do? They wanted to go in the backyard and release the balloon. It was helium. So we're just going to send it to him on his birthday. Isn't that cool? I'll never forget that. and They may not even remember it, but I'll never forget that. Maybe have prayer. But when you sit down for your presence... Say, guys, you know what? I know everybody's excited and we want to open up things, but let's just stop before we open up anything and let's just thank God for all these things he's given us. Let's thank him for each other. Why don't we thank him for his gift that he's given to us, that all these gifts are going to represent. They're just a small picture of what he's done for us. Wouldn't that be cool? Let's just have prayer just for a few seconds. How about putting a nail spike on your tree? You ever seen one of those? Somebody gave us one of those a few years ago. It's about that long. And whenever we, ha- when we put our ornaments on our tree, I mean, it's powerful. That's a spike, like, was nailed into Jesus' hands and feet. It reminds me of what he did for me. Just, we're just opening up the, the ornaments, and God reminds me. 
Anybody ever heard of the advent calendar? You ever heard of that? Shannon's family started that years ago, and we've kind of carried on that tradition. You just buy this little calendar, and the kids love it. They memorize it after a few years because you read every day over and over again. So you open up this little window, and it says, Long ago in the city of Nazareth lived a young woman named Mary. Mary married a carpenter named Joseph. I mean, I know the whole thing just about my heart because we open it up every day, and we, read the, and we go through the Christmas story. Maybe if you don't want to do that, you can actually take Matthew and Luke and actually read the Christmas story. Read the verses out of the Christmas story. Just do that. Maybe, maybe just, you know, the month before Christmas for your family devotions, just each night, read a few verses just to keep it all fresh on our minds. You can do whatever you want to do, but those are just some ideas. Christians, here's my challenge to you. Have we allowed the world to press us into a mold and we're not being any different and God's challenging us hey you know what this holiday Christmas does not have to be robbed of its significance in fact of all people we ought to be the ones keeping Christ the focus amen it shouldn't surprise us that the world would not make him the focus but it should surprise us that we aren't making him the focus. So why don't we lead by example and then maybe others will make him the focus as well. Amen? If you're not a Christian, if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, I, what a beautiful time to give your life to Jesus. To recognize for the first time in your life that God came for you. That, that he gave his life for you. Jesus died for you. That he came to this world. He cares for you. Where is God? God says, I am here. I came for you. And if you will trust in me, I will forgive you. I will give you a relationship with me. I will transform your life into something that you've never experienced before. But you're going to have to trust him. Many people give their life to Jesus during Christmas. Why don't you do that this year?